Hello and welcome back to Spark. I'm your host, Jake McInnes. We are sitting down today with some members of Hoofers through the Wisconsin Union. So we'll go around by just uh, introducing ourselves first, and then maybe if one of you would like to explain further what Hoofers does. All right. I'm Ansley Lave. I'm the Hoofer Outing Club president. I'm Caroline Miller. I'm the vice president of marketing for Hoofers. And I'm um, Thomas Lewski. I'm the officer of diversity and inclusion. And I'm David Lummis. Um, you guys already know me from other SOPO interviews, but we're back again. So any of you care to walk us through what Hoofers really does on campus, what their goals are? Yeah, uh, Hoofers is the big outdoor org that's on campus. Um, there are over 2,000 members total, and within Hoofers we have six different clubs. We have riding, mountaineering, skiing, snowboard, scuba, outing, and... Sailing. Sailing. <laughs> And um, within each of those clubs, there is a bunch of different programming that goes on and community events and lots of different things that happen. Um, and we're membership-based. You have to be a member to partake in all of our events. And we're also mostly volunteer leadership-based, so none of our leaders are paid. Um, we do have pro staff. Um, so we have a director. And then we have, um, there's three professional staff members who advise two clubs, and then we have an admin specialist, um, financial specialist, all these other kind of fun little things too, like sailing has some good stuff. So mix of student-led and community volunteer and then paid professional staff. So what are, you gave us your titles. What do you do though? Um, I'll go. So being a club president, I, the club presidents are the only roles that actually do have a monetary stipend, so because of that, we kind of end up having the catch-all position with so many little responsibilities um, within our position description. Um, mainly it's just managing the club members themselves um, and running meetings. So like I run my executive board and my group of activity chairs that uh, run the different activities like canoeing, kayaking, mountain biking, things like that. And then we also have a third group of leaders within the outing club specifically that's trip leaders. So they do anything from lead two-hour canoe lake lessons or they lead a 10-day backpacking trip over spring break. So we have just our general club leaders um, as well. Um, and then we have our general membership. Um, and then all the extra little things are like programming events that need to happen throughout the year or tabling or... Um, connecting with other orgs around campus or responding to emails from totally outside businesses that want to work with us or um, help us out or get their um, like job openings run through our clubs. So a lot of little things. Yeah. Um, so I represent more of the like back end workings of Huffer. So I'm not a club president, but again, like catch a lot of random things, um, especially on like the communications within our club and then outside our club. Um, so I like to look at my job as like two different aspects. So I have the internal communication. Um, so like marketing our learn classes or um, events from other clubs, helping lead marketing directors and like other communication teams, like know who they can talk to and what manners, what channels. Um, so that's really fun because it's very, um, like people kind of know 
the audience is really well defined so it's really fun and we can do a lot of like exploratory things and then the other side is more external so I work at the union marketing department we have our own representative Isabel she's awesome and um yeah we just talk about hovers to a different audience so I have a bunch of different things that fall into each of those categories but that's kind of how I look at my position did y'all mention hover council yet we also do that. Okay. Yeah, tell me. Yeah. That's a, yeah, good Go point. It. Dig into it. Dig into it. So, uh, Hoofer Council is basically the governing body um, of all of Hoofers. Uh, it includes the um, the Hoofer Council president, the six club presidents, uh, four vice, and then the four VPs. And then we have a couple other non-voting members. Um, so, as the officer of diversity and inclusion, I'm a non-voting member on Hoofer Council, so I advise on things related to diversity and inclusion. Um, in addition, I run a Hofer Council program called uh, Hofer Ambassadors, which is um, a grassroots movement started last year um, in Hofer's to improve sustainability and diversity and inclusion efforts within Hofer's. Um, so we do education, we do community outreach, and we um, have initiatives to impact kind of how Hofer's is structured to try and reduce some of the barriers to the outdoors and outdoor recreation. So I know we've kind of already talked about things that you guys are responsible for, but for those of our listeners that don't already know, what is like Hoofer's stated mission and how are you guys going about that? Yeah, our mission has a lot packed into it. Um, we focus on education um, of the outdoors um, and environmental stewardship as well. And like Tommy mentioned, we have diversity and inclusion efforts, um, so that is also part of our mission too. Um, increase the accessibility and removing barriers that exist within the outdoor industry like finance or um, a general perception of the demographic trying to break down those things um, and one of our biggest founding values is also student leadership and that's why we have so many diverse uh, types of leadership roles within the organization um, and our students are given a lot of autonomy and a lot of responsibility as well as support to match it um, so that it's a really really cool area that you can be a college student but be doing some really real life things and have a place to fail and learn from it. That's absolutely awesome. Um, so what are some of the bigger projects you guys are currently working on um, or like any events that you guys are currently excited to throw? Yeah, we got the winter car. Do we still plan the winter carnival, or is that like the actually it's coming now? up? Okay, yeah, like a big event that Hoover's always done is the winter carnival, um, which is the big festival on the ice. Um, I don't know exactly what specific programming we have. For One it. cool thing we're doing is um, Ski and Snowboard Club has always put on Rail Jam, which mm-hmm. is like our um, freestyle team for skiing and snowboarding. They'll do like their own short course do judging, and all these local sponsors will come through. So we always used to do it next to Liz Waters, but now we're doing it on the terrace steps so we're like trucking in snow i don't actually know how the snow's so, there. so they so they put the full kibosh on doing it on bascom so i don't have the full info on bascom but i we do can, know can, that a compromise might be terrace i think they are i don't think they've gotten a final answer on bascom so oh, we don't okay. have owen the ski and snowboard president who's yeah. been running this whole thing yeah but i think they've been they just decided to move forward with the terrace steps and they were actually checking it out the just over this weekend. I saw them, um, and they're thinking of putting the snow down the steps that are parallel to the lake, and then like that's where the jump will go off of. Yeah. When I was imagining it, I just assumed it would be like jump right off onto the lake. Oh but no! But <laughs> you know, we don't know if the ice will be. 
No, yeah, they're putting their whole, like, short course on the... You'll hear a lot more about it, but that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Bascom's kind of, like, a gray... I think it would be a surprise if we find out, (laughs) but that would be really cool. Um, Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of, like, really good stuff. We're bringing back hoof prints, which is, like, an old-school newsletter we used to do, Um, and it's, like, taken its course in a lot of different ways. Like, we used to do email, and then finally we were like, let's just throw it back to, like, an old template, so we're doing that, which will help, hopefully, like, include communication to, like, alumni, um, prospective members, current members, all that good stuff. So yeah. that's a fun project that's going down. Yeah. Another ski and snowboard related thing, because winter is coming, so they've got their huge programming. <laughs> so true. <laughs> is resale, and you helped run it. I couldn't actually get yeah. too up much soon. information. Is that after break? It's the 6th and 7th of December. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's a place where you can get secondhand or like gently used um, soft and hard goods for the winter, and then there's also vendors that will come and sell older gear that's new. Uh, but yeah, that's Union South, December 6th and 7th. Um, it is the largest resale in the whole Midwest. Um, yeah. And it's all student run, essentially. Um, we definitely have our pro staff that like really help us out, but it is crazy. <laughs> so do they, does, does Hoofers at all generate any revenue from that? Or is it strictly just like you provide a marketplace? No, so um, my first leadership position within Hoofers was an assistant director for resale, which was insane. It was, <laughs> it was really a good learning experience, but it was intense. Um, I think, I don't remember the actual percentage, but we do drive, do you it's know? It's a fundraising me? event. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's yeah. main purpose is for fundraising for okay. the SNS club. Yeah. Um, so they take a percentage of every sale, yeah. basically. And they raised so much last year that they have been able to fund this new accessibility program that they have. Yeah. They've been so, giving out a ton of grants. So like a quarter like of a million dollars was in revenue, just like generated, and then we took a cut off that. So it was like 50000 we raised or something okay. yeah, like that. amazing. Rough numbers, rough numbers. Yeah. But definitely in that ballpark. <laughs> yeah. Another big thing that is happening down the road, and this is just uh, a plug for the future, is a conference that I'm helping run. Um, it's the Student Outdoor Educators Conference. It's happening the end of March, the weekend after our spring break. And it's a Midwest conference, and it's being co-hosted by Hoofers and Alps Adventure Learning Programs. It's a student Oregon campus that focus on, focuses on experiential ed. So it's bringing experiential ed with outdoor ed, bringing them together. Um, and it's a conference run by students for students. And it's a really, really cool weekend of... Uh, professional development and networking with other students within the industry and there will be some cool speakers so there will be more information to come. So what drew you all to Hoofers originally? Well, (laughs) good question. Yeah, I mean I've always loved the outdoors. That was pretty much it. I started introducing outdoors like through rock climbing actually. Um, So I was on my high school like rock climbing team and through that I started going camping and stuff like that and I just think I think the outdoors is like a place where one it's like super spiritual and like healing and at the same time it's connective to both the environment and to like others around you um and it's like empowering also like going into these some of these spaces that like you feel like a big like you're part of something bigger I guess and so that's where it kind of drew me to like the outdoor recreation part of Hoofers and just like the community that surrounds it I guess yeah I can agree with that more um my freshman year, I was really looking for kind of an alternative spring break, in a sense. Um, so I took a trip to Jackson Hole with SNS um, in Wyoming, and I only knew one other person. I came out knowing like 35 new friends that I was, I'm still really good friends with. Um, and that was the first sense on campus that I felt like I had a home of people that like were like-minded, but also very different than me. Um, 
And then I kind of got the bug from there. But yeah, again, I just feel really at home being outside just because it's a space where I don't really have to like try to be anything other than like myself and there's no expectation. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's really just like part of who I am, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, speaking to both what Caroline and Tommy said, the outdoors is definitely the biggest place that I felt empowered as a person. Um, and just like you said, Caroline, like a space where I can fully be myself and nothing else. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel a lot of societal pressures that I do feel in a lot of other spaces. And my intro to Huffers was like a lot of other people. I grew up going to summer camp and going to an all girls summer camp it was the first time I felt so powerful and self-sufficient and it was such a valuable and pivotal experience for me and ever since I've um, been so personally like spiritually connected to the outdoors because I found so much there um, and feel so at home there and um, keep on uh, getting involved so I can hopefully create that space for others yeah do you all have one Maybe it's, it's a tough question. Do you have one like defining experience that like you knew like when you really fell in love with the environment and the outdoors? Climate change. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like eventually, like it got to like I always liked being outside, and eventually it got to the point where it was like uh, learning more about climate change through science and stuff that I was like to save these spaces and that's how I started exploring them more and stuff like that um I think it's gone in waves for me so like I grew up thankfully with parents who were very outdoor minded so I think as I grew up I kind of had waves of falling in love with it um in college I think um I joined the rock climbing team without having any prior knowledge and Tommy actually was the one that taught me like everything that I know now so um I think that was a wave of like having people that were really like willing to take you as you kind of came and just being able to like I don't know it just that was the first time I fell in love with the people also in the outdoors of just like these people are different and this space can be different so I think that was my college falling in love (laughs) yeah I absolutely agree with that um I think the most special part about hoofers is that it is about the people and nature is just like baked into it like we we go outside so that we can get closer with the people we are surrounded by um, and that's why I've stuck with it, and I think that's why most people stick with it. Um, you stay for the people, um, and within that, you get to interact with the outdoors. You got you got any experiences, Dave? That let's see. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I've got a couple. Uh, so I have family lives up on uh, in Washburn in the Bayfield area, like nice. the northern beautiful. northern part of Wisconsin. Absolutely beautiful. And they grew up like growing up. They were park rangers for Lake Superior. So we'd go out to the Apostle Islands in the summer, we'd go out there in the winter and walk across the ice, uh, going sailing, because uh, they were experienced sailors. It was just absolutely awesome. Oh, man, it's just so beautiful up there. You know, there's so few people, there's all these great forests and all these great mountains and all the, not mountains, but hills, <laughs> Wisconsin mountains, <laughs> and all these great caves, and it was just such a wonderful experience growing up. Um, and then I distinctly remember, oh, God. Four or five years ago now, my family took a trip out to Glacier National Park. Um, mm. And as we're hiking around, you see some glaciers that the tour guide tells you aren't going to exist in 20 years or so due to climate change. And I think it's kind of struck with me of just how fleeting nature's beauty can be. Um, and I think that kind of just re- reestablished nature's importance to me personally. That, like, we have some duty to uphold. Mm-hmm. 
and protect these spaces because they're so beautiful and our children should be able to enjoy them as well. And it's a shame that they might not be able to. In fact, they won't be able to. Yeah, yeah for, for a lot of how we see the outdoors now is going to be way different. I remember the first time I ever went hiking in the mountains was in uh, the Bighorns in Wyoming. And now there it's gotten to the point where the pine beetle, I believe, because of climate change and it's getting warmer, they can go to higher elevations, higher altitudes. And mm. you just see rampant die off. Wow. And it's, you know, it's it's striking. It's so striking and it's it's so visual that it's it sticks with you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, so I realize this is probably going to be difficult, but do you guys have a favorite spot that you have taken a trip to through Vipers or just a favorite nature spot in general that you've seen and just would really encourage some of the listeners to go see? I think a really easy one is, is Picking Point and the Lake Trip Preserve down here. Like, yeah. I think it's really easy to talk about all these, you know, spaces in the mountains and, like, wherever that are really, really hard to get to and, and sometimes require a lot of experience. And I don't think that those spaces necessarily change how you interact with nature. And so, like, one of my – I think the Lake Trip Preserve is, like, one of my favorite spots I've been to. I don't know about y'all. That's funny. I was going to say the Arboretum um, because I think – yeah, again, it's like I found trail running there that I didn't think was a thing. Like, I would go every summer, we go and take really cool trips. Um, like, you throw all your friends in the car and go. And that covers does a little more structured version of that, too, during the school year and everything. So, countless cool trips like that. But, like, I came back on campus being like, I feel like detached almost. And the ARB was the first place I felt like, I don't know, like I could go run trails that like could be anywhere. Um, and it's. I mean, it's, like, there no one knows. I don't know. It's just, like, an incredible spot where you can kind of be by yourself in nature, just like Lakeshore, where I don't think – it's kind of a hidden gem, honestly. Yeah. To speak to trail running, um, someone just started within the outing clubs a mm-hmm. mini trail running club because people have that craving of, like, just that outdoor contact that doesn't have to be some big structured trip or event, but just being outside and helping other people incentivize you to get there is so special. Um, mm-hmm. For me – Going off campus, I mean, I do, there are so many outdoor spaces here that I am so, so grateful for, and I'm grateful that um, the the university, um, like, uh, keeps them, keeps them well-maintained and purposely puts in, like, little signs about the plants there, things like that, but for me, the place that I'm most connected to is the North Woods of Wisconsin, and I think that, yeah, (laughs) I think... That, like Tommy said, like, yeah, they're big, beautiful places all around the U.S. and outside the U.S. And um, it's easy to talk about mountains and, like, oceans, like, big stuff. But I think Wisconsin is so much just right here. And the Northwoods have been a place just of peacefulness and quiet. And it feels like the nature is so much bigger than the people there. And that's something that I think is really powerful. Are all of you from Wisconsin? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I spent a couple of years on the East Coast, but I'm from I'm from Wisconsin. Okay. One thing I noticed when I took I took a big trip when I went hitchhiking out in California and we got back and I realized with my older brother, like, you know, you see all these places, you see like it's all gorgeous, but then when you grow up in Wisconsin I think there's just something intangible about it that is special. It's I, I think it's the beauty and the culture behind it all so um, maybe 
we'll backtrack a little bit here. What are y'all studying, and is that going to uh, provide an opportunity for you to continue working with in the outdoors, fostering it, or can you speak to that? Yeah, I'm studying um, environmental studies and community and nonprofit leadership. Um, Hoofers is a registered nonprofit, so and there's a lot of places that kind of model its membership type structure. Um, and then, so like I would love to go work in some type of similar nonprofit, either with outdoor recreation or environmental conservation or something like that. Um, I'm studying biology and I have a minor from the business school and I change what I want to do every other week, um, <laughs> honestly. And I'm a senior, so <laughs> it's comforting for everyone else. Um, and I know wherever I'll go, um, I'm kind of attracted to the medical field right now, but um, or like healthcare in general. But wherever I go, I know I'm gonna take like a lot of the like love and I don't know, just like general attitude I have when I'm in the outdoors and working in the outdoors that like into those spaces too. So not directly, but indirectly. I study gender women's studies and Spanish and Italian. So I've never studied anything nature related but I've always been extremely involved in it and very connected with it. Um, and it's not at all a side hobby. Um, and I am really passionate about the things that I study and the cultures I learn about and the way I think about like how society functions. And I am excited to bring that lens and that intersectional lens to work I do within the outdoors. So. That's how I know I'll continue to interact with the outdoor field. So kind of just coming off what you mentioned, that um, kind of like Hoofers as a, non, as a nonprofit organization, um, do you guys partner with any like local-based nonprofits as well that are kind of focused towards environmental sustainability or outdoor activities or anything like that? I don't know if any like specific partnerships. Um, kind of through my position, I've been in contact with like the State Park System um, and the Ice Age Trail Alliance. Um, to start forming some connections, and I know we do like cleanups and stuff through other like friends of parks orgs and stuff like that. But I don't know of any like actual partnerships that we have. Yeah, the outing club as well does. We have a an activity group within our club that's the oh, Ice Age yeah. Trail building. So we have um, a guy that's like our contact for the Ice Age Trail, and we do pretty regular um, events for working on that trail. Um, but there's also the the new Office of Sustainability that um, Hoofer Ambassadors has been working with. Um, and I think Hoofer Ambassadors is one of the, the biggest programs within Hoofers right now that's doing a lot of um, outreach within like campus community and the greater community. Yeah, another thing is um, within the same space as Hoofers, we have Outdoor UW, which is not a nonprofit, but it's a for, it's like a small business. And it's within the union, and we provide, like, short-term opportunities for people to get outside, especially during the summer. So we have, like, water rental, like, watercraft rentals, like, kayaks and stuff like that, and then we have snowshoes in the winter. It's definitely not, like, a nonprofit link, but that's also another part of, like, how that organization is able to get a lot of different types of people outside and different, like, long-term commitments, kind of like how hoverers can be, or, like, just an afternoon on the lake also, so. So throughout your experiences... What have you all seen as some of the biggest limitations to accessing the outdoors uh, and maybe doing some of the things that we've been talking about here, maybe besides going to Picnic Point? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, the first one, like, the most obvious one is, like, ability. Like, the outdoors isn't 
always accessible to like people with physical limitations um and so that's like one that i see right away um another thing is just like who else you see outside like i go outside and i see a lot of people that look like me and that I identify with it's a lot of white people and a lot of male dominated culture and so I think your identity also has a big impact of not necessarily like are you able to go out there but are, do you feel welcome do you feel safe um in this in kind of these spaces yeah on that note um there are so many different ways of interacting with the outdoors but if what you see on magazine covers and like in tv shows um and in movies, like big out there, like climbing movies, things like that, if there's one type of person that you're seeing over and over again, you might doubt that um, you can be in the outdoors and you can take up that space, um, even though like any any contact is a is a valuable one. And like um, you can, with any different type of, of ability, like you can find a way to interact with the outdoors. It's just a matter of if you find a community that is welcoming of you. I would also say financial. Um, it's like a really straightforward black and white one, but like a lot of the members of Hoofers are college students and like outdoor experiences aren't always the number one thing when you have other stuff to think about. So um, I think this year in general, we've looked at grants a lot more than I've ever seen it in Hoofers, but um, like Hoover Ambassadors has their um, big grant program where if like you... Uh, need or feel like um that's a financial barrier for you like a membership or a trip or gear um you can go to hope for ambassadors and apply for their grant and that will be something that's provided for but like outing club has theirs mountaineering has theirs sns has theirs um and sailing and scuba and riding are like kind of working with that too so i think we see financial as a pretty black and white one but it's not for a lot of people it is a really like can i afford this i don't know so it's a good one I think kind of going off that as well, um, it seems like college really is a full-time job in and of itself, and then a lot of our students have to work either through work experience to build their resume or simply to afford to attend the university. Um, and I feel like ultimately what that feels like is a lot of students feel like they don't have time to go do the things that they would otherwise like to do or would enjoy doing. So what would you say to someone that would tell you that they just simply don't have the time to go out and appreciate nature or to get involved in those activities? Um, to make an argument for mindfulness, I would say time is an illusion and you have time for what you value and what you make time for. And for me, since I have always valued spending time in nature, no matter what, no question about it, I purposely make time for it. Um, I never feel like I'm too busy or I have too much homework um, to spend some time outside. And the more time I'm able to be away from technology and getting some like fresh air and um, some calm time in the outdoors the more time I feel like I have in my day it just for me personally it's a really um, big thing of just uh, mindfulness and feeling feeling calm and steady in my life yeah I like to that concept I would say like one just think about like what is your definition of like what you think nature is I think a lot of times we think nature like kind of like I've been saying, are these big outdoor spaces, you know, you're going to the mountains, you're going to the desert or something like that. And we don't really think like taking a walk down by like Lake Mendota or like looking at the plants on your walk to school or whatever, like is considered nature. And so I think a lot of times if you just um, think more of like changing the narrative about what we consider nature is, you'll kind of just start appreciating 
the local spaces that we have here a little bit more mm-hmm. um, because we are on a campus where there's so much like open space that a natural space like really really close to us yeah I like to think of them as like micro adventures because unlike Ansley I sometimes go in waves where I don't want to be in the outdoors I'm like I can't be in the space right now I don't have energy for it Mm. um or like I don't think that my where I'm at right now is like where I want to be outside it's kind of a hard thing to articulate but I go through waves like that a lot where I'm like I just don't want to be in this space right now um and I think that's where, like, the little, like, micro-adventures, like, pick a library that's, like, closer to maybe, like, a view than, I don't know, like, pick a window seat. Um, or, like, go for a productivity walk when you're really fed up with what you're doing. Um, I definitely agree with, like, when I'm outside, I feel a lot more centered, but I really struggle to make time for it sometimes. So I think just small scale and, like, kind of lose the, like, self-shaming attitude. I know I tend to have when I'm not outside for, like, 10 hours a day. Um, So if you can just, like, always be positive, I think that also really helps in just, like, inching your way into it. One quick here before we take a brief break here. If there is one, one activity, or what is your favorite outdoor activity? Number Ugh. one. Not a, not a broad category. That's so hard. Mine, okay, mine's, I've, yeah. Mine is canoeing. I, that is, that was my first uh, outlet into the outdoors um, growing up at my summer camp. And I think it is just so incredible in every way. And canoeing can be hard and portaging can be hard. And it it just brings so much, yeah. Um, I definitely have a ton, so it's really hard for me to pick, but I think at the root of it, trail running, because it's the cheapest and least amount of equipment, so I'm able to do it the kind of the most. I don't know. I think that's my most consistent over the years. Mine switches all the time, and, like, I get tired of some and get, like, more stoked on some of them, but I think the one that I've had, like, the longest is slacklining, actually. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. I did not expect that. that. I don't like working really hard. (laughs) So it's one you kind of go to like hang out, but you're still considered outdoor recreation. So, well, we found some really cool slackline spots on campus. Actually, I'm not gonna name them on the podcast, but uh, really cool spots. (laughs) Actually, it's a it's non academic misconduct violation. There it is. We're always (laughs) off campus. Okay. Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Always off campus. You're fine. You're fine. David, what's yours? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I really like kayaking growing up. I don't know, that's a really good that's a really good question. I haven't had a chance to like learn how to, to go sail yet, but I feel like I should do that while I'm in while I'm still in Madison. Yeah. Mine's definitely skiing. Yeah. I've, especially oh, I love. Love. Love, love. Alright, we're gonna take a brief break. I believe Tommy's gonna be leaving us. You sticking around or are you leaving too? Um T B D. T B D. Alright, we'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. Uh so for our first bit after the break, the environment and how you talk about it has proven to be a really big issue and sticking point for a lot of people. So what are some of your concerns with the rhetoric around the environment and the, like how you handle it? How... Yeah, for sure. Um, so I saw a really interesting post by this female ski mountaineer her name's Caroline Gleek um and that was the first time I ever thought about how I spoke about my outdoor experiences um and she kind of said that a lot of the terms we use are very um 
they're really heavy on like owning and overtaking and like I slayed that line or I dominated that route or something like that like really heavy on how you're owning something and how I never even thought about this but um a lot of those words and like rhetoric is rooted in colonialism and how we want to own things and like kind of control things um so I've really looked at how I speak especially in like a marketing role and communication to our clubs how we choose to speak about the environment and our outdoor experiences and how to maybe like be mindful that when you own something that's really like causes a lot of problems that some of which we're seeing surface now. Yeah. And especially as it relates to like, especially to the environment, you know, far too often, I think rich, wealthy people and corporations think they own it. <laughs> or could possibly one day yeah, own it. Yeah. 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 Totally. yeah. I think there's also an aspect of like gendered language within uh, outdoor rhetoric. Um, and this is something we talk a lot about in Hoofers, like we mentioned earlier. One of the big barriers to the outdoors is just the perceived community of it um, and what the demographic is. So um, in some sports more than others, definitely um, they're pretty male-dominated spaces. And I think um, there is sometimes a bro culture that is perpetuated that mm-hmm. maybe it's maybe it's fake and the people perpetuating it don't know it or maybe don't want to be, but that still is something that exists. And like Caroline mentioned, there's a lot of like one-upping rhetoric and it like competition is really baked into it. And um, I think that's something kind of unique about American culture. Like I, I think in other cultures, that's very different that nature is not seen as like um, an item to be um, commoditized and um, it's, it's not, it's not always a tick list. Yeah. yeah you and can't it's also just like, check it off. It's also <laughs> how capitalism has affected it. It's not like a resource to be exploited and um, it's instead like the environment that we exist in and we are also a part of like humans are animals, a part of nature. Um, and I think we've really like warped all the ways we view it and talk about it. So do you think the best approach to combat that is a bottom up or a top down? Or how do you how do you go about maybe maybe first walk us through some of the steps that you're taking in your marketing role mm-hmm. to to maybe change that view? Yeah, definitely. And I'll say like I don't think this issue kind of first came to my attention like pretty recently. Um, and so the steps I think are pretty like low hanging in my opinion. Like I absolutely need more experience in how to talk to people who maybe aren't familiar with the outdoor industry and that's how I talked about I divide things down internal and external audiences and how our internal one may be a little different than like how we speak to external um and so I definitely want to work with like social justice hub and MSC about ways that like I can be more aware of and put that lens on my work more um I also think just like really trying to talk about this more and like bring a lot of these things to light. Like you're sitting in the car driving home from a trip and you're looking through the pictures you're going to post on Instagram and people are like tossing out captions. Be the one in the car that's like, don't use that word. Or like be the one in the car that like brings that up. I don't know. It's like organic, but also kind of formal education meet. Yeah. I think another aspect is the rhetoric around um, uh experiences in the outdoors with like what is better what is bigger um and within the outing club we have a really big backpacking base and um within backpacking it's really common to see trips out west and longer trips more remote trips 
um, and like taller mountains as like bigger, better trips. And we call them our big trips, the, the ones that go out over spring break. And you have a smaller trip that goes out on the weekend. And in some ways it's like, yeah, measurement wise, it is longer and like days long. Um, so it's bigger in that sense. But taking a more social justice lens, like um, creating that hierarch hierarchy of value of experiences within the outdoors creates a barrier just from the language you use. Like folks who do not already feel comfortable there, then they feel like maybe the experiences they have, like walking to class every day and just observing the trees around them for 15 minutes, like that's not a valuable experience. That's not really, um, that doesn't like hold up within a community of really outdoorsy people who like do quote unquote bigger or better things. So I think breaking that down as well. And just like Caroline said, like having a discussion about it um, and that's a big value of Hoover uh, Ambassadors that the first step is just education and just having discussion is work within itself like when Hoover Ambassadors was just starting we would have just a lot of sit-down conversations and we would just come up with different topics we would discuss a lot and sometimes people would say like this is great that we're sitting down and talking but we're not doing anything like we've got to do stuff and um, David O'Keefe, who's one of the ones with Anna Nardine who started the program, would always say, you are doing something. Discussion is important. Education is important. And it, it's a necessary first step. Um, just because there is no program physically being scheduled doesn't mean that this is not important work to get done. So I think discussion is a really important first step. Sticking with rhetoric, but transitioning maybe a little bit more to the environment as, as on the meta scale. How how do you think is the proper way to talk about like combating climate change? You know, maybe at like the political and you know policy level, because so often I feel like so many of the people that are pushing for uh, uh, drastic change to become more environmentally conscious talk about it in in a way that puts off a lot of the people on the other side. So do you think that there's a way to go about that to maybe mitigate some of that that uh, tension? and bring people together around the environment? Yeah, and I think that's a really big question. And I think anyone with the answer, we would have a lot less issues yeah. <laughs> going on right now. Um, yeah, I think like that's where I see a lot of importance in like those micro-adventures we talked about earlier. Because I think if everyone can find value and importance in the outdoors, I don't think these like really big, um, I don't know, like a lot of the discussions that are being had, at its core, I don't think um, politics should be, like, this shouldn't be a political issue. This environmental thing doesn't need to be political. Um, and we've talked about this, like, in the past of just, like, um, having those micro-adventures ties everyone into the conversation, and it's less of, like, screaming at each other and more of, like, um, how do you value the outdoors compared to how I value it? At the core, we both do, um, and how can we work within that space? Um, and it's really... If you want to be a vegan and do X, Y, and Z, that's, like, incredible. But we also need to be realistic on, like, what everyone has the ability to do, not just some who are privileged enough. So, the, again, those, like, micro-adventures tie everyone into the conversation. I think that's a really big first step. Yeah. I think outdoor engagement is so essential. Um, and, like, we've been talking about just changing the rhetoric of what it means to be engaged in the outdoors because you are not willing to fight for something or put money towards it. Um, or speak up politically about it if you don't have a basic value for that thing and you don't actually have a personal connection to it. Yeah, I definitely think that 
learning how to properly communicate our ideas and, and like in a way that's both respectful but also informative is something that I feel like a lot of us that do deeply care about the environment kind of struggle to do. It can be really infuriating when you're talking to someone, perhaps at Thanksgiving, the day after <laughs> yeah. this podcast comes out. Yeah. If you have a family member or a cousin or somewhere along the line that just denies climate change or isn't, you know, isn't, isn't as impassionate as, as you are. Um, and ultimately, I think that's like truly just the, the issue of communication is the biggest, yeah. the biggest challenge that we as Americans have to deal with, at least within our own uh, culture and in dealing with each other. Um, but kind of going off communication, um, you know, we, as university, I believe we were ranked as one of the lowest in terms of... In the Big Ten. In the Big Ten. In terms of sustainability and, and our, how we go about, you know, uh, really working towards minimizing our impact on the environment. Um, so what do you guys think we can do and what steps that the university should take to help speed up this process? Yeah, absolutely. Um it's, that's a big, that's a bummer statistic, but because I think there are a lot of people that really care. And that's my, I would say the first thing is like, if you, if you find this, like any of this conversation about like climate change or any of this, like if this strikes a chord with you, freaking do something about it. Because like, it just takes a little bit of effort from a lot of people to like show the university that their students care. Um, so like I said earlier, I'm, uh, a minor through the business school so one of the newer clubs that just started is the social environmental advocates um, it's called SIBA if you're interested check it out plug but um, <laughs> essentially like a lot of people from all over the u- university that are affiliated with environment come together um, and ask people to speak up about um, making like the endowment within the university um, uninvest out of fossil fuels so that's like a lot of words all at once but essentially like a lot of people don't know where their tuition goes. And the fact that, like, the endowment goes towards fossil fuel companies I don't think is all that well-known. And so at its core, if you're interested, like, speak up and ask questions and learn um, and, like, have those conversations even if you don't know all the answers. Um, Because I think it's important that the university sees a lot of different people from different groups interacting because that shows strength. Would you happen to know where concerned students could go with their complaints to the university? Like yeah. What channel they could take? Um, so there's a petition going on right now through um, a couple different student orgs that are all partnering together. Um, but like Clean Wisconsin, SEBA, Hover Ambassadors are all part of it. Hover's as a whole is a part of it. Um, and we're signing a petition that we then walk up to, um, on December 6th, we'll walk up all the signatures and put them on the chancellor's desk about how we want, again, like our money to stay out of fossil fuels. Um, so you can look on like NextGen Madison, NextGen Wisconsin has a lot of that information. Um, or like contact anyone in SEBA, like Instagram DMs, any of that. If you're interested, just like find a channel that's easiest for you to speak up to. Definitely, I think that'll that'll be the end of our of our hard content. I'd like to get maybe into a, a, some speed round questions here. Classic. So what is one time that's the the most embarrassing story that happened to you while you were in the outdoors? Oh, my God. I have, like, a really funny one. <laughs> go. Okay, so my freshman year, I was on the Jackson Hole trip. I go, first off, I didn't skied out west in, like, a very long time. I was very rusty. And I go up to the tram, which if anyone's been to Jackson Hole, it's, like, that's where all the backcountry skiers go off. Like, it is hardcore. People getting on that thing are, it's hardcore. You get the warnings over the loudspeakers. I get off the tram. It's, like, full whiteout. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I hadn't skied out west. I didn't know where I was. I was with a lot of friends that knew what they were doing, so I was, like, confident in their ability. So I can't see, like, snow from sky. 
and I was skiing down, and my friends were like, Caroline, Caroline, heads up, like, um, there's kind of like a big lip that you have to go over, like, almost like a cliff or something, like, you should unstrap and maybe, like, slide down so you don't know where it is, so I, like, unstrap from my skis and slide my butt down this entire hill, and there was no cliff, and they just, like, made me get all my stuff off for no reason, and I felt like a complete uh, and total, you fill in that blank, but yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. That's amazing. Mine, honestly, I can't think of, like, a true embarrassing story. One, though, is um, I also was on the climbing team when I first joined Hoofers, and um, I went to Governor Dodge one weekend with some friends just to do some bouldering routes, so not roped in, um, pretty short routes. Most of them are, like, 5 to 20 feet at the tallest, and... We ended up on one wall with some taller routes, like 20 feet or over. And with bouldering, you just have this crash pad underneath you that's like a two by three foot it's little squishy yeah. pad, small, small. just like on the ground, like 20 feet underneath you. Hopefully you'll land there if you do fall. Um, and there was one really tall route in particular that was a little bit too advanced for me. And um, I always cite this day as the day that I learned that I am not into adrenaline sports (laughs) (laughs) because I was like almost at the top of the route and um, there was like a a difficult part next. And I realized like I have no safe way of climbing down from this and I just need to top it out. And I did. And I just like beach whaled myself over the top and just like lay there. And my heart was beating so fast. And I said, "Okay, now I know that. I don't love adrenaline in the way that other people do. I have enjoyed this, but this is a little too much for me. So, David? Um, so we were um, snorkeling um, in Mexico a couple of years ago as a family, um, and apparently like this, all the, we were snorkeling over by um, one of the coral reefs, and I believe now might actually be dead. So that's very sad. Jeez. I know. Speak up. <laughs> if you care about that. But uh, so... I, for whatever reason, I just couldn't figure out how to work the mask, so I was just breathing in seawater. It just near. <laughs> um, so instead of like looking at apparently like a family of sharks swam up like over by our group, and like there was a lot of great things to look at, and the entire time I was just busy coughing out seawater. So I missed ninety percent of ninety percent of that whole experience. No. That, that was pretty embarrassing. Mine probably comes that first time I was in. I was hiking in the Bighorns. We climbed up on top of Bomber Mountain which is named that because a B-52 there apparently crashed and some sometime around World War II. And we get it, we like, we are inside of it. It's like 200 yards farther and it starts snowing, like blizzard conditions. And we're like, we got to get the fuck off the top of this mountain. Um, <laughs> and so we're, we're climbing down and we like, you have to like jump through this little like crevice to get down. And I didn't realize that there was some people down around at the bottom and I yell down to my brother my brother and I are Lord of the Rings fans so I shout I shout down an Aragorn quote <laughs> that he's trying to bring down the mountain and freaking my my dad just looks at me it's like still snowing because there's these, a couple people down there like who is this guy <laughs> yeah yeah That's great so we have uh, a holiday break coming up what is your favorite dish for Thanksgiving if you participate? Please don't say cranberry sauce. Oh, gosh. 
No. Mine is hands down sweet potatoes. I am deeply in love with sweet potatoes, but I really can't handle when people put marshmallows on top. I don't know what that is. Why? Why? (laughs) Oh, excellent question. Um, I'm, like, completely enamored with Thanksgiving. I think it's, like, (laughs) such a cool holiday, Um, like every other American, I'm sure. But um, I really like – my mom makes really good stuffing. Honestly, like, I always make lemon meringue pie, and that I like that because I like sharpness, cuts a lot of the big – like heavy meal um but yeah i like stuffing how about you guys i would say turkey most of the time although there was one thanksgiving my sister made the heaviest chocolate pecan pie i think i've ever had oh. it was like 50 percent pecan to 50 percent chocolate <laughs> in a, like immediate food coma so yeah i put yeah. that on the same team <laughs> okay i am also a huge fan of stuffing however the past couple years i don't know if she made it last year but my grandma made has made this wild rice dish and it has like mushrooms in it and water chestnuts sounds excellent it's so good (laughs) it's so good so unbelievably good and then um yeah i'd say those two were the main thing um favorite place to go get coffee or if you're a tea drinker to go get tea here yeah Yeah, here here on madison not necessarily on campus holy toledo that's such a tough question. I don't even what? know where that is. My favorite place. Um, for me, oh, I, know. I wow, yeah, there's so many, but to be close, I do Michelangelo's or I live by Johnson Public House on Johnson Street. Okay, yeah. Um, I was gonna say Wildwood Cafe in Stoughton, but it's not. It's not on campus. That is a really cool cafe if you want like a little afternoon off. I like um Collectivo on Monroe Street. That's just like right off the bike path. Um, so that's nice too. And I don't really have, like, a preferred coffee shop. I kind of just go to, like, the first place that sells, like, a nice... A nice <laughs> caffeine. Yeah, just, just whatever it is. I just want a dark roast with a lot of caffeine. But yeah, um, mine is my kitchen in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so true. I guess I would say, for students on campus, I would say Collectivo, I think, generally mm-hmm. has a better just house blend and, like, in-house roasts than, like, Starbucks or Cafe Express or some of the other chains. I realize Collectivo also kind of is a chain at this point, but yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> it's like definitely Wisconsin chain. Like yeah. it's a Wisconsin staple for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. All right, that is a wrap for our roundtable with Hoofers. We're happy. We were happy to have you on. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. Yeah, it was really. This was super fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thank you.